arrived it's desperately seeking entertainment i can't believe it's i can't believe we're live we're going let's do this i'm one of your hosts chris peterson founder editor-in-chief von stage blog joined with me as always is the man the myth the legend mr ben frawley how are you man how is it going chris i am doing stellar last week might have been a low energy week for me for me because i was on vacation but not this week dude i am fired up my god entertainment what a week what a week to be living in. What a year to be living in. Such a rich entertainment year. Will we look back on this year 15 years from now and say, my God, 2019 was the year that we will remember so much content. I don't know. I'm fired up, Chris. I don't know about you. I'm fired up. I am too. This is this was a huge week in entertainment on, on all different fronts. Um, a lot of headline grabbers, a lot of interesting things going on. So let's let's get into all of it. Folks, if this is your first time listening to this podcast, first of all, welcome to the party. Uh, on this podcast, Ben and I like to chow down on some some pretty tasty entertainment things that cover all different types of mediums. So we're not just talking movies. We're not just talking TV. We're talking about anything entertaining, anything that engages you, entertains you, makes you feel something. We're talking about it yeah. on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. I like it. It makes you feel something. I like it. <laughs> makes you feel something. Um, <laughs> the kicker. The kicker is I have no idea what Ben is bringing to the table. He has no idea what I'm bringing to the table. We, we did not rehearse this. So our reactions are genuine. They're live. We've got some hot takes left and right. I love all of it. So, Ben, kick us off, man. What do you got? Okay. Chris, I cannot ignore the top story. I have to take number one with a bullet. Okay, but we got, please. We got, it. We got a, lot of, a lot to unpack, a lot to talk about. It is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Chris, did you see this movie? I did not. <laughs> are you kidding? <laughs> no. Are you messing with me? I have not yet. What I is wrong not. with you? What do you got? Job? You got family? <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> you know, just just those two things. Just those oh, two things. my God. Okay. All right. So, Chris, I don't know. So listen, this is weird because I'm on a podcast with someone that hasn't watched something. Do you want a spoiler-free kind of rundown? You know what? Do you want me to wait a week? I have enough for this week. This is what? so awkward. This is the most awkward thing you've ever done to me. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, you know what? Just just do it. Just go. Just launch in. I, I'll react as if I've never seen the movie. So, folks, I'll put a spoiler alert on this thing. But honestly, go for it. Just go. Just Are things. you serious? I'm serious. Just rip the bandaid off. Go. I'll put it this way. Okay. I read I read a couple articles that talk about um, the, the ending the of end. the movie and okay. other elements of the movie that I'm like, you know what? That doesn't surprise me in terms of a Tarantino film. So I'm still interested in seeing it 100%. Um, okay. Just, you know, I'm, I'm fine with it. So go. Ben. All right. So go. I'm going to say like, you know, 50% of our listeners have seen it. Probably 100% if you're watching, listening to this pod. So I get it, Chris. Okay. So if you've heard the spoiler kind of thing going on um, – let me just talk about a master director at the height of his game. And I've read reviews. I have re listened to podcasts. I have 
dug through the Tarantino kind of collection. I actually bought uh, Pulp Fiction on Voodoo just because I was just in a mood <laughs> after mm-hmm. watching this movie. I've been listening to the soundtracks, yada, yada, yada. Um, this brought me back to not only the golden age of Tarantino, but the thing that made me fall in love with filmmaking as a child. That's how good this movie is. I'm just putting that out there. Sure. And my friends that were going to it. And so, Chris, you haven't seen this movie. So there is no level of excitement that would let you down. Just get excited. Uh-huh. So you will not be let down. That's how good this movie is. Nice. Um, let me break down the things that I loved about this movie. Please. Okay. Um, the things I loved about this movie in general is just... First off the bat, it's hard to ignore the the cast, the writing, the directing. Um, the cast, Leo, Brad, um, everyone in this movie is at the top of their game, and they're just owning it. It is just everyone's batting a 1,000. Everyone's pitching perfect games. It is pretty amazing. I can see this movie not only going up the list of best Tarantino movies, but favorite movies of the millennium easily. And I'm not overstating this. I think this will sweep the Oscars, especially from what we've seen and what we've seen previewed. If this doesn't, if Leo doesn't get nominated and probably and probably win for best actor, that is a crime. That is that is such a crime. You know, we always talk about billions and stuff. Speaking of billions, Damian Lewis is in the movie. I had no idea he was in it. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> um, it is such a crime on so many levels. And if Tarantino doesn't does not win and this does not win best picture, I don't know what to tell you. I, I think I'm out on wow. the Oscars. That's how good this movie was. This movie was so good on so many levels. So as you know, I'm a giant cult guy. I, I like cheesy movies. I like horror movies. But I also like personal movies. I like intricate, talking, great dialogue, Woody Allen, before sunset, personal movies. And this had that kind of touch to it too. That Richard Link letter. let's just watch a day in the life of people and then also have my personal flair as a director going on too, but also had this suspense building through the whole movie and the alternate reality piece of it was just done with such uh, carefulness. You know how Chris, you know how we were talking about Ari Aster, Ari Aster like uh, a couple weeks ago, right? Sure, Midsummer. sure. And we talked about this new director just getting into the game with uh, crossing genres, you know, like you're laughing one minute, you're scared one minute, you don't know what to, th- you think you're going insane in the theater one minute. Um, this movie had that feeling to it that it's just a master of multiple genres of film. And I, Chris, what's your favorite Tarantino movie? Oh, yeah. Let me break it. Let me let me get you in the conversation. What's your favorite Tarantino movie? It, it's tough because I, I I think that there there. Are different films that are my favorite of when it comes to this or when it comes to that. So, like, my favorite in terms of story structure is the Kill Bill series. Uh, my favorite when it comes to just straight up writing is Reservoir Dogs, and it's very tough. But if you had to give me one, oh my gosh, I, I would probably say Kill Bill. And I'm I'm counting okay. Kill Bill one and two as one movie. So. Right, right, and I think he does too. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, this movie. And I don't know if he intended to do this. If he did, he's a genius. I mean, he's already kind of a genius in a lot of areas. And listen, it, it, this might sound like a love fest. I loved every single second of it. Um, I feel like this movie was almost like touching on every little thing that you've ever loved 
in all of his movies and doing splashes of it. I saw splashes of Reservoir Dogs, Inglorious Bastards, um, definitely Pulp Fiction, uh, definitely Jackie Brown, um, some of my favorite movies of his, and just spiced and interwoven into this movie. Um, I I don't know, Chris. Like, and it's hard for me to be like critical, right, and be a critic of this movie when I had so much love. Now, can I tell you about my film, my my movie going experience on this? Please. <laughs> All right. So I'm sitting in the Pitts Pittsfield, Massachusetts. I'm sitting in the Beacon Cinema, and I think it's uh, twelve forty five on a Friday. So you know, a lot of you know, it's opening weekend, and this movie made a lot of money. So I'm going to say there's like twenty something people in the movie, in the movie theater. So which is pretty good for a matinee. Um, and there's this lovely woman right next to me. She's alone. And I said, Hey to her. And I'm like, I'm so excited for this movie. Then there's a couple 20 somethings down below. And I remember last week I talked about some 20 year old D bags that don't know anything. <laughs> and then I have some older people behind me. Right. Uh-huh. Um, and this movie, you kind of need to know a couple things. You need to know about the Manson family and the Tate murders. You need to know about kind of like old Hollywood and, 60s western tv and just sitcom tv in the 60s how things were made um to really get into this movie and i and i think chris you you know enough you you know enough like you don't need to be like you know obsessed with that but i knew enough and my reaction to this movie i was laughing at things that other people in the theater weren't laughing i must have been a lunatic (laughs) there were things that were ultra violent on the screen that i'm laughing at almost like midsummer (laughs) Um, they must've thought a crazy person snuck into the theater, but I had such a visceral reaction to this movie. I actually like I, my hands rose above my head and I screamed and I I hope you have the same reaction. I hope you get to see this movie and have the same reaction. And I don't think I'm pumping you off enough, like just get into it. And, um, yeah. So Chris, what have you heard about this movie? What what have you heard? I, I, sorry, Ooh. I'm sorry. I'm going off. I, I'm sorry. I've been waiting all week to talk about this movie. I love it, what have you I heard? What do you, what do you think? Yeah. So I'm okay. so sorry. I'm so sorry. So I've I've, <laughs> I've heard it's it's fantastic. I hear it's one of those like if you love Tarantino, um, you're gonna love this film. I hear that it's a love letter to this era of Hollywood. Um, one of my favorite interviews that he's done so far. <clears throat> one of his quotes was, "A lot of my experience." at this era of Hollywood as a kid was riding in the backseat of a car. So you're almost seeing Hollywood almost from that perspective, mm-hmm. if you will, which I kind of love. Some people are calling it his midlife crisis movie, which makes me really interested in what this movie is all about. A couple controversial things. Don't get me wrong. Right. I mean, right. the ending I hear is very controversial. I can see why people would feel that way. Wait till um, you see it. <laughs> I can't wait. Um, one, one, and I don't mind talking about this now. Again, we're putting spoiler alerts up on this whole thing, but good. Um, I, I understand that the inclusion of Bruce Lee in this movie is a little controversial, um, to the point where his his daughter basically came out and said that she was not contacted at all about how he was going to be depicted in the film, um, and that, and I'll just I'll just use her words. Having seen the film, she feels that her father is is used in is mocked in a way, I guess you could say in the movie. Yeah, I, I can I see feel. that. I could see that, you know, even more than Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski, actually, I could see him. He's kind of a punchline in the movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. he, I mean, I was laughing the whole scene, um, but it's, I don't know. It's Brad Pitt. It's kind of awesome. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, you know that him and Brad Pitt get into a fight in the movie, right? Just even from the trailers, it's kind of awesome. <laughs> right. 
Interesting. All right. I'm. I. You know what? I'm. I'm interested in seeing this movie. Obviously, I'm gonna go see it once I have, a you know, a spare three hours in my day that I can do it. But if I if I can give if I can give like a really good review of it, um, this and so it's funny because I kind of did the whole run through of the plot to my mom. So my mom, you know, watched the kiddo and let me go to this, which was awesome. Um, and she was like, you know, I'm not gonna see it. She's not a Tarantino fan, um, at all. Like she hated Inglorious Bastards because um, they Christoph Waltz in the first ten minutes is drinking a milk bottle on the milk farm, and he, she's like, "Why would they have milk bottles on the farm? It would just be in a glass. It's stupid. This movie doesn't make any sense." <laughs> so that's how hypercritical sometimes <laughs> she can be. <laughs> that's why she's the best. Um, so she's like, "Just spoil the movie. Just just go through it. I don't care. Just spoil it." And um, and when I did and went through the whole plot and talked about the ending and the tone and what happens, um, she was like, you know what? I kind of want to see that. So this is the Tarantino movie you could bring your parents or your mom to. Okay. Um, there are some, of course, violent scenes, but far and few between. I'm going to say there are really five minutes of the movie that are violent. The rest is almost like a watching a day in the life of some awesome characters. And he just builds these characters so well. There's a really tender scenes. There's this great scene where Leo is talking to a young actor and she's, she's eight years old and talking about her acting process. And um, so if you're an actor, if you're in theater, if you're listening to this freaking podcast, you're going to love this movie. So not even being a Tarantino fan, if you're into entertainment and the history of entertainment, history of Hollywood, you will dig this movie. Everyone needs to go see this. I, I really think that, people i'm gonna call my shot you know call my shot like babe ruth friggin i'm gonna say that this movie's gonna go down this might take the place of pulp fiction on the afi top 100 whoa i'm going that far i i really think the rewatchability of this one you know i love pulp fiction i rewatched it after this um there are some hard scenes in it some things that didn't age well uh-huh. and so tarantino is now making this movie with some woke eyes um, there's still some racy things in it, but it's calculated in a way that, you know, the 19, uh, 1992 Tarantino and 2019 Tarantino, there's a little difference. And I could see this one really aging well, okay. extremely well, like uh, kids going 20 years from now going, I wonder what the 60s were like as far as Hollywood and watching this movie. And from all I've read, it's pretty accurate. Everyone's based on real things. Um, Leo is kind of based on Burt Reynolds and, uh, uh, Brad Pitt's character is based on like Hal Needham, which was the guy that directed Smoking the Bandit and Hooper and all these crazy movies, and of course Megaforce, and uh, also based on uh, Tom Laughlin, who is Billy Jack. So there's all these like kind of archetypal people that are in Hollywood that they're based on. It's just, I'm sorry, I, I feel like I'm like going nuts, Chris, but I, I've been so excited. So I can't wait for you to go see it and then hear your two cents on this. So this will be a cool podcast because you'll hear my two cents and then your two cents. Well, let's move on. If you haven't seen this movie. That's my that's my bit. I wanted to just do that. <laughs> my spiel, it. dude. All right, man. So this past week, um, we had a, another really cool premiere on streaming networks, a premiere that I was looking forward to. Uh, we got The Boys on Amazon. Um, right. Did you see any of The Boys yet? No, not yet. No, oh, no. Oh, my God. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> 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 I'm not going to go as crazy as you did. All uh, right, all right. But I will say, here's the thing. Um. It's very good. It's a satirical look at how superhero culture, and I'm talking about like how superhero films and, and pop culture have really impacted our society as a whole. Um, 
as if you know if if superheroes were real in a way uh it's just a very smart smartly done show but it is not like anything i expected it would be in terms of its genre um and i I don't you're gonna watch it though right like you're gonna watch it yeah i see the trailers i'm ready to rock yeah okay all right so i won't spoil what how it's different but from what i thought it was going to be it's not that way at all and but it's still good, and I want people to know that. I want people to know that I still think it's great. It's just like, oh, okay, this is not not the tone of the show that I thought it was going to be. But it's very good, well acted. The the guy who who stars in it uh, is the son of Meg Ryan and Dennis Quaid. And what oh, I know, lo- I didn't yeah. know that. That's so, crazy. I think his name is Jack Quaid. Um, okay, which is a great name, by the way, Jack Quaid. Yeah. Um, Jack Quaid. It's like Brock Holt, <laughs> right? Oh my god, I love it. Um, and what I love about him is that he has like kind of like a Meg Ryan face with like the intensity craziness of Dennis Quaid's eyes uh, in a way like he got, he got the best attributes from his parents, so to speak. Um, and it really works out well in his favor. But other than that, uh, and like Carl Urban, who we all know from Star Trek and Lord of the Rings. Um, right. But other than that, very few like recognizable faces uh, in the, in the show. So it's really nice because you're, you're discovering new, actors in a way um that are doing some really really strong work um but then you got elizabeth shoe in there who's doing like phenomenal work elizabeth shoe mark my words might get an emmy nomination next year for this show she's that oh great. get out of here yeah we're making some bold predictions for uh, some bold predictions. season huh? nice. um so yeah I- i'm looking forward to it see so, yeah, yeah elizabeth shoe really Elizabeth shoe like leaving las vegas like 80s you know babe icon yeah, freaking uh, the adventures of babysitting. Of course, babysitting. I mean, this woman was a goddess to me growing up. So, oh, I know. Um, what was the uh, what was the one movie with Elizabeth Shue and uh, Kyle MacLachlan where like the power's out? It's like apocalyptic. Oh. Is that two of a deep cut? For you know what I'm talking about? They're on the road. I've, and, I've seen it. I know exactly what yeah, you're talking about. Like uh, power core or something. I, I, some pulse or something I don't know what like the fuck that. it was called. Yeah. Really good, really good flick. Really no, good big fan. Really big good fan. Really good fan. Yeah. So. <laughs> She's doing some good work. Um, so yeah, folks, see it, but be warned. If you've watched the trailers, maybe it's maybe that's the the smart thing about it. Is like we thought it was gonna be one thing, and oh my gosh, it's completely different, but good nonetheless. So check that's out the great. Movie. You know what? I love. You know what? In the new trend seems to me. You know, just talking about. You know, I just went through Tarantino spiel, and I don't know if I spoiled a lot during that whole spiel I did. Um, but just talking about that crossing genres. You know, talking about Ari Aster and. That seems to be the new trend of not really labeling your show with a genre. I mean, we watched uh, Avengers Endgame, which was one of the saddest movies for the first half of it. I mean, it was people during a grief and loss support group for the first five minutes. You know what I mean? Um, Where you have a superhero movie, but it's sad. You have a superhero movie, but it's a spy thriller. And I love how the new trend of TV and movies is really not to give you anything during these trailers. I love Uh that. Yeah, I love that. Remember how I, I've been talking about how I, I don't even at a certain point, like especially once upon a time in Hollywood and the boys, I, I've been excited for that one. I just stopped watching trailers because I was like, yeah, I'm good. I'm, I'm I don't care. <laughs> I'm going to watch it go. no matter what. There yeah, you go. Dude. Nice, yeah, dude. Good nice. stuff. What else you got? All right. So uh, let me uh, segue into the next one. Um, Lord of the Rings star Orlando Bloom comments on possibility of return as Legolas in Amazon series. Oh, okay. Did you hear about that? No, 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 no. Go ahead for it. So I know, yeah, I know that last week, Chris, you said that um, we were talking about Netflix and stuff and streaming services 
and all of these uh, places kind of combating for looks. And it seems like Amazon is the front runner and they are reaching out and they're, they want to shoot for the stars. Cause I think Orlando Bloom coming back for Legolas is kind of a big uh, get, you know, especially for a TV show. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And what are your thoughts on the, what are your, all right, really, what are your thoughts on Tolkien as far as its legacy, as far as movies and TV? You know, because uh, we had like Lord of the yeah. Rings and then we had The Hobbit. Like, what are you, where, where are you at now as far as excitability as a new Lord of the Rings property coming out? I'm not. Yeah. I'm not, I really am. Yeah, dude. I mean, and I blame Peter Jackson for that. As, as much as I hate to say that, <laughs> this is my hot take. Dude, we got some hot takes this hot week. I love it. We got, <laughs> is that what's going on this week? We've got some hot, hot takes. <laughs> I mean, it's the end of July, beginning of August. Like, things yeah. are getting little, literally hot. So, uh, yeah. no, here's the thing. Um, the, the first Lord of the Rings movie we got, the, the entire series, was perfect. It's one of the most perfect trilogies of filmmaking I've ever seen. Uh, I wouldn't change a thing about it. Maybe with the exception of maybe the eight endings of Return of the King, but that's fine. That's like a minor thing to me. Um, right. I mean, uh, you're, you're doing a giant trilogy. There, right. you gotta, and I, yeah, I've heard that critique, but you know what? I got all of the extended editions in my all house. All the extended editions. I, every <laughs> Black Friday, I get up in the morning and I watch all three. Extended. Oh, look at, that's a great tradition. That's, that's great. a great freaking tradition. Every Black Friday, I whip those things out in those old <laughs> DVD boxes, the red, green, and blue ones, and just rock it. All, and I can't wait for my son to get just a little bit older so he can partake. But here's the thing: as great as those were, I hated the Hobbit trilogy. I hated, and hate's a strong word for me. I hated the movies. I hate the fact that they exist. Um, they were made. I always, I feel that they were made for the wrong reasons. They didn't have nearly the same spirit as the first ones did. Um, it should have been two movies instead of three. I mean, it just everything was wrong about the Hobbit trilogies. And so now I feel like I'm back to square one again when it comes to Lord of the Rings uh, properties. So with this with this Amazon series, I don't I don't know. OK, like we'll see. Like, I mean, you're not going to get me on day one. I got to I got to hear some good word of mouth before I get invested. How about you? I'm 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 with you on that one. I, I really am. You know, as I I'm a giant Hobbit and Lord of the Rings fan. As far as the books, I really am. I'm a giant nerd. I've read them all, and I, I'm not a big reader, but I've read all those things. I read The Hobbit when I was a kid, and I've read Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit again. I'm reading The Hobbit to my kid, but I'm constantly reminded of those awful movies, <laughs> which is tough. That's a tough thing, and you know, I really want to show Deacon Lord of the Rings. I really do but I'm kind of reminded of those things and everything you said. I mean, imagine if it was just one movie, then you'd be like, Oh, okay. That was cool. Because I feel like there is just content in the Hobbit for one movie. Uh-huh. The cartoon version from the seventies is just perfect enough. Um, here's my real fear, Chris. Um, did you watch um, dragon fist on Netflix? No, not yet. Okay. I mean, it's okay. I mean, mm-hmm. I watched the defenders. I watched all the Marvel properties on Netflix. Okay. Um, oh, you mean, you mean, um, what am I thinking of? Iron fist. Dra- Iron fist. Sorry. Yes. Did you watch that one? No. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <Still> no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, you can see, you can tell how much of an impact it had on my life. Uh, no. So iron fist and I love Luke cage. I loved daredevil of course. And I love Jessica Jones and I got to iron fist and what happened was, 
Danny Rand, the guy, the, the character of Iron Fist was extremely close to Iron Man and Batman. Uh-huh. And it's not the show's fault. It's not the follow throughs fault. It's like, it's kind of my fault and our fault for knowing Iron Man and Batman. And they've been done to death at the point that that show came out. Right. Rich guy becomes vigilante and learns Kung Fu. I've seen it. I, it's Batman. And it's done really well in this movie and this movie and this comic book and this cartoon. Got it. And they did this origin story and you're like, oh my God, I'm going to sleep. Okay, wake me when it's done. You know, and I feel like, so going back to Lord of the Rings, the same thing's going to happen. I think that there's a lot of good content in Tolkien, but I think people have lifted it over the years, over the past hundred years, really. And like, oh, like here's Willow and here's Star Wars and here's all these fantasy movies lifting little pieces of Lord of the Rings. And so by the time we get to the Lord of the Rings show, are we going to kind of be able to call everything that happens? That's my fear. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. All yeah. Right. I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I mean, that, here's, a good, here's a good example. I mean, that whole biopic about Tolkien himself that just came out recently, I mean, that completely bombed at the box office. No one cared. So it was like, I, mm-hmm. I mean, I think as a society, we've definitely kind of cooled on Tolkien a little bit. I think, so I don't know. We'll see. I, I, I'm, I, I want this to be good. I want it to be a wise and smart endeavor. Um, but I'm just, yeah, I'm not sure, but we'll see. I'm hopeful. Yeah. I mean, and if, and correct me if I'm wrong, if, you know, a lot of speaking of things that lifted from Lord of the Rings, um, Game of Thrones, of course, you cannot Mm -hmm. help but draw comparisons to Lord of the Rings. Game of Thrones is like the, you know, R rated version of Lord of the Rings. Of course, it, it, it totally makes sense. And since the end of that show is critically and, um, just kind of overall panned that is not a good beginning of this. Like imagine if end of game of Thrones was at a peak and they just kind of left you on a cliffhanger and you're like, Oh shit, I want more fantasy kind of content. Then maybe we're talking. Um, but I think it's been lifted too much. I think it will just kind of be hackneyed. It'll just be like, yeah, I get it. Good's going to triumph over the evil. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Yep. Got it. You know, when we saw the original Lord of the Rings, it was like, wow, I've never seen anything like that. And that's awesome. So, um, I don't know. That's my thoughts. So I'm totally on with, on board with you, but you know what? Um, Orlando Bloom joining is a great sign for the production. Um, if, if more of them start joining on, maybe that's a great sign that this thing's actually going to do something. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, dude. I'm excited, man. All right, let's move on. Dude. I don't know if you saw this. This was a complete surprise to me. Um, I was just kind of watching, um, like a Hulu show this weekend and a commercial break happened. And a commercial came on for a brand new miniseries, like a drama, a miniseries drama about the Wu-Tang Clan. Now, I'm not talking about the documentary. I'm talking right. about an actual like, like drama, like a, a scripted drama that apparently like all of them are kind of behind. I mean, it's obviously really produced by the RZA and things like that, but like Method Man's involved and all these other people are involved. So we're actually going to see like Wu-Tang the movie so to speak, about the creation. Um, it does look a little over the top, which I kind of love. Um, and But it's, it's I, we, once again, in addition to the documentary, which was outstanding, we're now going to get this little mini-series about like the creation. Um, I, I'm loving the fact that Wu-Tang is all over the place right now. This is a great, you know, it's a great time to be living in when yeah, you know, the appreciation yeah. for what they did 
uh, is being called back. But Ben, I mean, are you excited about a Wu Tang movie? Of course I am. Of course, <laughs> more woo in our lives is always a good thing. It's always a good thing. I don't care if it's a weird million dollar album or something weird. And I don't care who they get to play all the people. It's just great. And I don't know about you, Chris, just being, you know, in suburbia in Connecticut, that was the greatest part of growing up in the early to mid nineties and being surrounded by rap is you just got exposed to a world that you had no idea about. And uh, now we're kind of getting the backstory of it. It's just awesome. Are you excited for this thing? I am. I am. That's, <laughs> that's something that I'm like, you, you don't even have to tell me who, who's casting it. First of all, cause I, I, I don't know a single person that's casting it, but like, uh, you just got to tell me we're making a movie about the Wu-Tang clan. So it's going to be a mini, it's going to be an actual mini series on Hulu. I'm like, I'm all for it. So, yeah. And that documentary was so good and so just good. filled with great stories and just such a rich story. And you got a sense with that documentary, even though it was, was that four hours or four, like four and a half? It was Something huge. like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was crazy. Like six hours all total. You got a sense that there's so much that they didn't dive into. And I loved um, straight out of Compton, you know, the making of that rap group Oh, absolutely. and all those little stories and all those little pieces that you just never knew about them. I think there's so much to uncover and so much to, uh, why not embellish it? But I don't think you have to embellish a lot. I think that it's going to be pretty crazy. <laughs> it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Awesome. All right, man. What else you got? All right. Let's get, let's, let's, let's get out of here. Let's, let's, let's dig into a different genre. Chris, did you watch Yankees and Red Sox this weekend? I did a little bit. A little bit. Again, so I the Sox took the series. Me. Yep. Yeah, the, the, the Sox took the series. They almost swept. They lost Sunday night, but they still got some runs. Um, they won one of the games 19-3, to biggest win in the rivalry ever, which is awesome. Um, but I want to talk about one story, and I read this on Yahoo Sports. Mookie Betts delivers to make a wish patient who asks for a home run. So this was on Friday night, um, and this is a story that we've heard a bunch of times that, and, but this is real from all accounts. I've seen this in a couple of places on the internet that um, make a wish is a great foundation. And I've talked about it on the podcast about raising money for it and yada, yada, yada. A kid actually asked Mookie Betts to hit a home run on Friday night. And not only did he hit a home run, Chris, do you know what he did? No. He hit three home runs. I love it. I mean, I, I, I actually did, but I wanted you to say it nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, I love it. He hit three home runs, and with another three home run game, he will beat the record for the most three home run games in MLB history. Wow. I believe he's tied now with Ted Williams or something. It's, it's insane. Look up, look, Google that. That's crazy. So Mookie is catching up. He started his season really slow. Um, he was batting 150-something during the first couple uh, months. But this Red Sox team is on fire. They're hitting. They're swinging the bats. It's almost like the all-star break. They just needed a break. And, you know, you hear about these celebrities or athletes coming home from, you know, winning a Super Bowl or winning the, you know, World Series and the fallout and the hangover from that. It just seems like they're waking up. Chris, what are your predictions for the Red Sox postseason? I'm, I'm, I'm getting more excited. I am. Okay. I mean, I was here. This is. I'm a different type of fan um, than than maybe most. Where like after a World Series, I'm okay for a couple of years. Like I'm not gonna get. 
I'm not going to start, you know, flipping tables if they finish. Well, I would probably flip a table if they finish last the following season. But you know, if they don't, yeah, yeah, if they don't, (laughs) if they don't make this postseason, if they lose in the in the wild card, you know, the following season, things like that. I'm I'm okay. I've gotten my fill, and and not for nothing, but I've also gotten, you know, what three World Series championships in my lifetime. Four. I'm sorry, four World Series championships uh, in my lifetime, which is unheard of. So um, I'm okay for a couple years. But I will say this. I, 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 if this makes sense, oh gosh, how do I praise this? I got angry during that whole chicken wing incident that happened at the end of Terry's. Oh, run. chicken wing gate. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Even though we, we even, were bringing this up. Yeah, exactly. Even though they had won the world series, what, maybe a season or two before that. And I'm still in my grace period. I didn't like the, like how they lost, how they missed out of the playoffs. I thought that they had the, the, the opportunities and they just kind of squandered them. With this team, I think it just was a matter of like guys needing time to get going, and um, and now I think I think the ball has run a little bit. I mean, Mookie's gotten better. I mean, the pitching's gotten better. Um, I'm 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 getting excited. We're not out of it yet. I mean, we're right in the the, the wild card race. Um, the Yankees are only what eight and a half, nine games ahead right now. I mean, that's not an impossible. Now they are. You know, I know. They could they could go on a losing streak. It is the Yankees after all. So um, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting excited again. This is good. So yeah, man, I'm, I'm on I'm on board. I don't know about you, uh, but uh, when this time of the year is coming and the Red Sox are surging and it's getting a little closer, just dropkick Murphy start playing in my head. <laughs> nice. So hard. I just start thinking <laughs> of the movie that the Departed. <laughs> I just get fired up, dude. I am ready for these socks. To not only take the wild card, but I want them to take the division. I want them. And just being surrounded by Yankees fans, I was just in a place winning a trivia night. And I was like, yeah, go Sox. I'm wearing my go Sox t-shirt. And she's like, is that a Red Sox shirt? I was like, yep. Um, We won the World Series and I'm going to win this trivia night. And <laughs> People getting pissed off at me. I love it so much. I get fired up up here. And I just love being behind enemy lines like the Warriors. Let's go, Sox. This weekend was great. The bats were swinging. You know, just I love – I don't know about you, Chris, but I love J.D. Martinez on this team. His approach in the box, that whole – I love him stepping into the box, and he has this kind of meditative, deep breath, mindfulness thing. (laughs) It's like time slows down. He just sits there. He's looking at the bat. He goes, and then he gets in there and just swings. It's just beautiful swing. I love showing the kid these guys, Mookie's swing and Xander's swing and J.D. Martinez's swing, just beautiful swings out there. Let's go, boys. Let's take this postseason. I love it. Let's get fired up. There you go. Love Let's it. do it. Yeah, Let's dude. do it. All right, man. Well, you know, one, one, one of my favorite um, programs, you know, on television is Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. It's, it's oh, phenomenal. Oh, shit. Uh, the new season is out. For those of you yes. who, who love – stand-up comedy that study it that just enjoy taking it in um it's it's a it's a great thing um one of my favorite episodes one of the episodes that i was looking forward to the most was eddie murphy and it's weird because i mean eddie murphy has done so many terrible movies that i i you know he's you know people can make the case that he's kind of lost his edge and blah 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 but what pluto nash he's <laughs> lost his edge <laughs> Thousand words? What? Um, <laughs> oh. yeah, I know. Um, here's the thing, though. Like he has been teasing the fact that he might come back to stand-up comedy, and this was kind mm-hmm. of the first foray into it. And what I love about this episode is he doesn't really tell a lot of jokes. He's not like 
trying to be funny, but there are moments where he does little things. And what was weird was I was laughing my ass off at just little comments he would make. And I was like, Oh my God, it was. And I, I realized I was like, maybe I'm just reacting to Eddie Murphy being funny again. And that's just like, when he's funny, he's just leagues ahead of everybody else. Um, I love what's nice about that episode. If, if you get a chance to watch it is they definitely touch on the fact of like, can you still do your style of comedy today? Cause if you watch Eddie Murphy raw, um, <laughs> some of it doesn't play well in a 2019 lens. Actually, a lot of it doesn't play well. In a right. No, it doesn't. Lens. Yeah. There's, there's <laughs> some, there's some themes and everything. Oh yeah. So, um, can he come back? And you know what? The little comments that he says in this thing that are funny makes me think that he can. And after this episode aired, we got some other good news that he's apparently in talks with Netflix to do two stand-up specials. Nothing's official yet. Nothing's been signed. Um, all we're hearing, and this is this is the cool thing, is that other other outlets have gone to him to ask him to do these types of things, and he's turned down deals uh, in upwards of twenty million dollars per episode, um, and. Uh, he is in talks with Netflix. So who knows how much money Netflix is throwing at him to do a stand-up special. But I mean, we in the next year or so, we could see it happen. Ben, how do you, how do you feel about a, a return from Eddie Murphy on this one? You know, if you told, if you asked me this question before I watched this comedians and cards getting coffee, I'd probably have a different answer. Uh-huh. But like you said, I got a sense that, and I don't know what Seinfeld does. And I, maybe he doesn't do anything because maybe it's just him. Maybe they just know Jerry and they trust him. You know what I mean? I, I feel like Jerry is a very trustworthy person in real life. And whenever you hear comedians talking about Jerry, like comedians can be very neurotic people, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> when they're uh-huh. on Stern and stuff, like Stern is like, what? what's up with all you comedians? You're just like these crazy depressed people. <laughs> like you're just nuts. And they're like, I don't know. And like they all say, we're all nuts except for Jerry. He's just a happy guy that just loves what he does. And he's uh-huh. just born to be do comedy. And I think there's something behind that in the sense that he is behind the scenes talking to people, always making jokes with them, always going over material, just a very giving comic. I, I feel like in the world of comedy, you can have comics that are very reserved. Oh, shit. I don't want this comic stealing my material. You know, if I talk to this guy, he'll take my spot. But, but very competitive. Um, with him, he's like, yeah, it sounds good. Let's, let's get together and have some coffee. Like, it's just very like casual. And what was really interesting was them reflecting on their childhoods, which is always interesting with comedians and Eddie Murphy talking about how he was like a loner. Like he, he was very alone. Like he didn't really have a lot of friends and, and, and it sounds like he does nothing and he doesn't really go out or anything. You know, he's definitely well off. Um, that was always interesting, you know, and Andy Kaufman was the same. He would just perform bits for his family and be up in his room, like doing bits and uh, mimicking Elvis. I thought that was so fascinating. And you just got a sense that Eddie Murphy is such a private person. Um, I don't know if you caught, did you catch that? Like when they're oh, in like definitely. coffee restaurants? Yeah. It was so weird. He's was so, it, it, there's something interesting about him where, when he's not in like the Eddie Murphy mode, um, especially you see it a lot on, on talk shows, like, you know, when he does Jimmy Fallon and stuff like that, he does come across as very kind of soft spoken and, um, and, and very private and things like that. Um, 
and and it's it's just funny because then like out of nowhere he'll do like a, a comment he'll make a funny joke or something like that and it's like oh my god you remember that it's Eddie Murphy again so it's like it's it's maybe that speaks to like playing characters and you know how those characters you know people think that's that's who you are and stuff like that but yeah I definitely caught on to that yeah as a as an actor I just caught because you and me have met or you and I have met like tons of actors mm. like tons of people that perform and entertainers and you hear stories about. Adele throwing up off stage or John Lennon throwing up behind the speakers, <laughs> you know what I mean? And just right. having stage fright and just being these very private people that just don't want to deal with fame, but they're performers. Um, there was one moment in this episode that was just, that just caught me and he's sitting there and he's just getting ready to eat at a diner. And Jerry says, you know, I just want to say to you how much it's great to see you. I love you so much. I love you, man. You know what I mean? Just one of those mm -hmm. moments. Mm -hmm. And, and it kind of took him by surprise. I love you too, man. And like, it just started laughing together and you got a sense that Eddie does not like going out in public. Uh, that's the vibe I got. Maybe that was my mental health counselor kind of vibe. I got, I got the sense that this man did not want to be recognized, you know, like, and on comedians and cars getting coffee, tons of people go up to like, Jim Carrey and Seinfeld are, and they're like, Hey, what's up? Like, it's okay. Yeah. And take them selfies and they don't really give a shit. <laughs> right. And Seinfeld seems like he's a cool dude. He, you know, he'll sign something and go, yeah, nice to meet you. It's good. Um, where Eddie is just a private person, but with that kind of trust in Seinfeld, like, Hey, do this show. Trust me. It's okay. And maybe that's the thing that's tipping Eddie towards Netflix. Maybe he sees these people and, Dude, Netflix has brought the funny for a couple years between Dave Chappelle, uh, Sebastian Maniscalco, and Seinfeld's uh, stand-up little thing. They're bringing the funny right now, and I cannot wait to see the Eddie Murphy. Love it, man. Love it. Yeah, dude. All right, dude. What else you got? All right. Well, I know. Um, all right. Let's switch it up. Let's go crazy. What am I, number four? Is this number four for me? That's it. That's it's something it. like that. Yeah. All right. Number four. Um, let's get back into video games. I haven't talked about video games. Um, so this was off deadspin.com and I am always fascinated with speed running. I've talked about it on the podcast, you know, people trying to beat old games like as fast as possible. This is awesome on YouTube and they have events, uh, quick games done quick. Is that what it is? Games done quick. I think so. I yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Um, where they have an actual event and people raise money. Uh, it might be for make a wish. I don't know what the charity is, uh, but they uh people sit and watch people like speed run like the blindfolded um mike tyson's punch out and all those little things the 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 four two level of mario things i've talked about on this podcast a ton uh this came out this week uh that you can beat goldeneye on n64 with only one bullet and it's a it's a youtube video it is awesome. I highly encourage it. And this guy goes through all of Goldeneye. He uses grenades. He uses the butt of rifles. But he beats the entire game with just one bullet. And if you've ever played N64 Goldeneye, it is an extremely hard game that can be frustrating. Um, there's a sort of randomness to the game where... Uh -huh some guards don't do what you want. Um, I remember playing the underground base level um, and just having guards respawn. And then sometimes they don't. And so the randomness of that game can be very frustrating, but for someone to go through and just beat a golden eye game with one bullet, it's out of control. Um, 
Chris, what's the what's the hardest thing? All right, here here you go. This this is the question for you. <laughs> All right, you ready? Mm-hmm. What is the hardest thing? The the craziest thing you've done in a video game and beaten like, like I'm talking about back in the day. Mm-hmm. Like either beating a game or doing something crazy in a video game that you were so proud of and no one was around and you just did it. You stayed <laughs> it for like until four in the morning doing it. Or and no one, no one would believe me that I actually did it because there are no witnesses. Um, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, I, I do have one and I, I remember, <laughs> and no joke, it was late at night. Um, it took many resets. Um, it was getting past the third level on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game. Oh, oh, um, the original the or original, the, the arcade we, version? No, oh. no, the first one. The first. Oh, it's so hard. <laughs> so you know that level where you're swimming underwater? Oh yeah, buddy, with I, the electric, with the electric uh, like stuff? IV or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but you're freaking timed because if you are underwater too long, you die because you know <laughs> turtles can't apparently can't breathe underwater. Apparently, they can't swim in the can't game. Swim. <laughs> um, I beat that level. I beat it. I got past it. Did I make it to the next level after that? No, of course not. Like I lost that one, but that took me, uh, I, I'm probably exaggerating the number because you know, this is what you do when you're, I think I was nine or 10 when this happened, but like, yeah, I, I think that's about right. Yep. It I think was, about right. it was yep. a good 40 to 50 times uh, in a row <laughs> in, in that one sitting, in that one sitting, it took me about 40 well, and, times. And, and, you know, like in this day and age of the internet, right. You can yeah. just hit, load state but back then you had to fight your way back to that the fucking whole, level to the beginning <laughs> i'm sorry if i swore but i'm gonna say that fucking level that fucking level and i did it <laughs> i did it with donatello because he had the staff um, of course because you know you could get you could get guys you know further away with the staff um but i remember doing it and i i but it was like late at night my parents were asleep i think so i did like this like muted scream well, I was like, yeah, like, I, just, I just remember being so freaking psyched that I had finally gotten past that level. And, um, yeah, then I, I think I threw the game away like a month later. So, all right. <laughs> now, listen, you? it's so weird. It's so weird. You said this. Okay. And folks, listen, like Chris did at the top of the pod, we do not prepare this. Okay. Um, now, Chris, I'm going to tell you one thing or right, two things. Okay. Did you watch the angry video game nerd? Of course. On that. Okay, on that game. Okay, great. Uh, second of all, uh, my friend Ben Bernard, big shout out. Don't I haven't seen him in twenty or thirty years now. Um, he owned this game. He was great at it, but this was the one level he wasn't good at. Okay, and actually, I got so good at that level that he handed the controller over to me to beat it, and I used to be able to beat it in one go. Whoa. Okay. I memorized the vines. <laughs> I love it. That was smart, man. Dude, I don't know. It's so crazy you just mentioned that part of that game. Like, listen, if you put that game in front of me, I'll, I'll mess it up every time. You'd be like, you're bullshit. Uh, you're not telling the truth. But I totally, that was the part that he handed. And this kid was a, a video game nerd. He could beat, uh, like, Michael, or he not only could beat Michael Jackson's Moonwalker, he could get the robot, which was like you had to jump at a certain point when the lightning struck in this one level. It was crazy. Uh, <laughs> that's a deep cut. <laughs> that's a deep NES or Genesis cut. Um, but that is awesome. I think my achievement, my personal achievement with, was beating Fester's Quest. Okay. That is an extremely hard and awful game. Yes, it is. 
Um, I beat that game, and I believe it's by the same company. I beat the game Mission Impossible just because I was a fan of the original series, not the movies, because they played on FX. I don't know if you remember when FX started. They've just played Mission Impossible, the original series, like Greg Morris and like, you know, all those people and stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know. That was those were my two games. The overhead kind of map out infuriating blaster master games i was like the bomb at those so those are the games are my shit and they just take forever so good stuff but yeah speed running is like a great thing it's on the internet it's on youtube but a guy watch this video he goes through goldeneye and shows you how to beat it with one bullet oh okay all right i I would definitely check that out that's awesome yeah dude that's awesome (laughs) all right man i'm gonna go on a little bit of a rant here um Mm. okay this is this is fresh this is, this is hot. We got a hot pod. This this literally happened um, a minute before we started recording. So like we got a, we got hot pods like a bowl of edamame. <laughs> and it's very fitting that you chose that food because Ooh, oh, oh man, not just, planned, folks. Not, not planned. planned. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> so playbill.com put out an article today basically saying like Let's celebrate. Uh, I think it's like the fiftieth anniversary of the King and I movie, or something like that. Um, okay. And okay. an actress by the name of Philippa Sue, who is a big name Broadway star. She was part of the original cast of Hamlet. She's headlined a couple other um, shows since. She's done some television things like that. She's she's out there. She's a she's a name. She's also half Chinese, half white. Um, put out a, tweeted okay. out saying like, you know. We need to point out, but like it's great that Playbill wrote this article, but they failed to mention that the lead role was actually a yellow-faced role. Uh, the person playing it technically wasn't East Asian. Um, she, it, that needs to be mentioned in the article. Um, it's a shame, and basically saying, I mean, I'll, I'll, I mean, I don't want to be accused of like, you know, paraphrasing here. So I'll just write, I'll just read you the actual. Um, Tweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because this is pretty important. So she says yeah. this is performance done in yellowface. Yet nowhere is it mentioned in this article. I want to point out that we rarely see it discussed and see some journalism examining the history of yellowface while celebrating the revival and its beautiful casting, uh, and, which was a beautiful production. Um, here's the thing, Philippa, and I'm talking to you directly. There has been people talking about this topic. There have been articles, many articles, dozens of articles. Uh, and journalism done on the history of Yellowface, pointing out how bad it is and how it needs to stop. I have been one of those people. I have been, I'm not going to be, you know, cocky when I say I've been a leader in writing a lot of those articles. I mean, you just look at the stats of how those articles are typically received by my blog. Um, and other writers like Diab Tran and Aaron Quill and others have written extensively. Now, when all these these yellow face incidents happened, like for instance, in New York City, we had a production of the Mikado, which was terribly done. There was a huge uproar about that. I didn't see Philippa Sue make a comment then. I didn't see her on the front line calling out yellow face um, that it was how wrong it was back then because she was in Hamilton and things like that. She was a visible, high profile Asian. Uh, performer that we could have really used her influence. We could have used helped really used her voice at that time in, in spreading that awareness. But I didn't see her on those front lines. I didn't see her when other issues have come up in the past couple of years. And now she wants to come out and point out the fact that oh, by the way, Yellowface is wrong, and it's a shame that we just don't have, we don't read enough stuff out there. Honey, just Google 
do a Google search and you will see the dozens upon dozens of articles written over the past couple of years talking about this subject. And not for nothing, but once again, when we asked for your help a couple of years ago and you said nothing and now you want to come out and talk now, I have a problem with that. I do have a problem with that. I find it a little hypocritical, but that's me. Um, and I've, I put out a comment on Facebook basically saying, like, welcome to the party. You're late. But uh, and it's being met with uh, both, you know, positive and negative response. And I, I expected that. So that's why I put it out there. Um, but again, that's my feeling of don't come out and say, man, it's a shame that we don't have more you know, journalism out there and things like that without actually doing the research and seeing that, oh, my gosh, it has been out there. We don't see a lot of yellow face in this industry because of this work that others have done um, that she apparently just kind of forgot to talk about. So that's my mini rant. Uh, so I love it. I love it, Chris. You know, and I, I understand what you're saying. What you're saying, and this is a topic that you've covered for years. I, I've seen you cover this topic for years. And what you're upset about, let me just clarify what you're upset about. It's not her sentiment. It's that it's coming out in a time that serves her. Right. Right. It didn't serve her to do this years ago, but now it might be a great publicity for her. Mm -hmm. Is that what you're saying? I'm, you know what? That's a great, that's a great way to put it. Um, you know, we've talked on this pod about other pods, other people, you know, I like to think when we talk on this pod, right. I'm like, I'm putting myself out there when I say that even like giving a movie review and saying like once upon a time in Hollywood is a great flick. And I, if it doesn't win an Oscar, screw the Oscars, let's boycott them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, like that's just me. I'm not doing that to make friends. I'm not doing that to gain some notoriety or some publicity and make, you know, go viral. I'm doing this pod just to speak my opinion because I don't know why I, I can't even tell you why, uh -huh. just because I think it's, you know, people say it's entertaining to hear me talk about this stuff. And when I, I hate when people have these fake opinions that are self-serving, it's almost like using a, a civil rights movement to self-serve your own political agenda. You know what I mean? Right. And that's something that's going on in today's day and age. And I think that's what – is that what you're saying right now? I just, yeah. I just want to clarify. I mean, that's, yeah. that really is. I mean, and what sickens me and is when you look at when she posts this comment and the comments underneath and things like that, and you're seeing you know, other people being like, oh, my God, thank you for getting involved. Thank you for you know, mm -hmm. putting that out there, mm -hmm. being an ally. I'm like, honey, where were you two years ago when we needed you? Like you don't see a lot of high profile yellow face in professional theater or film industries anymore because we put an end to it. We, we did the, this two years ago. We started putting our foot down with Ghost in the Shell and all these other movies that were putting you know, white people in, in Asian roles. And I'm, you know, I'm sorry, like Philippa Sue wasn't there. She wasn't on the front line. And I don't forget those things and, and other people shouldn't. And when it, I don't like it when people all of a sudden are ally when it's convenient for them or for their careers. We saw a bunch of this happen with the Me Too stuff lately, where you know people were calling out other people in the industry, and um, you know others wouldn't get behind that until we saw like more masses get behind them and things like that. So um, I, I just don't like it. I don't like allies for convenience. And I, this is 
I, I felt like that's what she's doing here. I felt that she's slighting not only, you know, me, but writers who are 10 times better than me, who have done 10 times the work that I did um, by saying that we need to see more journalism. I'm like, it, the journalism's already out there. You just got to Google search it. So, well, and not only, not only that, they're also, it's undermining your statements. Mm-hmm. It's undermining you, what you really like. I know you, Chris. It's not like you wrote those articles years ago to like, oh, this is the new trend. <laughs> You've always felt that right. way. Like it's not like this is a personal thing for you. This is an extremely personal thing. And if anyone knows you, it's a personal thing. And I really see this. And this is the defense of people like, like let, let's get crazy. Like we don't we don't talk politically on the show. But this is really what happens when you see something really awful in today's day, things that I think that are awful, like the rise of white supremacy and just awfulness and assholes with tiki torches, torches down in Charlottesville and all this stuff, things that I just find awful. Mm -hmm, Right. mm -hmm. And when people like speak out on it, I'm like, fucking a that's that's awful shit. But then to speak out on it, when you're running for re-election. Right. Well, then I'm like, wait a yeah. second. Two years ago, where were, where you? were you? Now you're running for re-election now. Oh, that was a bad thing that happened. Nope. Someone died. Where were you two years ago? Bingo. And that is something that undermines any thought that you have, any truth feeling that you have in your heart that you really want to, get out there and just someone riding your coattails so that I, I understand what you're saying. I totally yeah, understand what you're saying. Totally, man. All right. What else you got my friend? What's wow, that, that was five. I was hot. All right. Listen, okay. We need to, all right. What I just said was wild. I just, you know what? Someone was just talking about to me about not getting political and stuff, but you know what? Not that political. Cause uh freaking Nazis suck. You know what right. I mean? <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Right. We learned that from, uh, from movies and, uh, from real life, they suck. <laughs> I give you my uh, Norm Macdonald. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so let's do a little levity. All right. Um, comicbook.com today. My One of my new uh, websites that I've been subscribing to. It's, it's a good one. They, mm-hmm. they just kind of go all over the place. They have they have uh, posts. Um, so, Chris, let's see. Uh, I think it was uh, 7.30. I think it was uh, July 30th was National Chicken Wing Day. Did you know mm, that? No, did not know that. Uh, Joey's Chestnut. Joey Chestnut, the guy that is the hot dog eating comp- uh, winner at the uh, Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Competition every year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he has won, is it seven in a row or something like that? Uh, I don't know. Like that, yeah. yeah. Um, starting at 11 a.m. on <laughs> July 30th, he ate chicken wings for 12 straight hours. <laughs> and not uh, only not only did he do this, he live streamed it. They live streamed the whole event on this kind of like KTV, like channel four out of, I, I don't know where it was out of. It was out of control. I watched a couple of hours out of Atlanta. He ate like 310 wings or something like that. It was oh out of gosh. control. It was at a Hooters. They were joking with him the whole time. And you could see him laughing while his belly's filled with chicken meat at 12 hours, just straight. Chris <laughs> is our here. Here's, here's the hot take. Well, I want to hear this. Oh God. Is 
Joey Chestnut, an athlete. <laughs> oh man, that's my question. This this is the greatest question of all time. This is, this is a. I know my answer. I mean, here's the thing. Yeah. It. I'll use. I'll use the the. Here's a good example. I will use the lawsuit for daily uh, fantasy sports um, as my deci- deciding question. Is okay. it? A, is this? Is this a game of chance or is it a game of skill? And that I feel is a good, you know, definition of what a sport is. It is absolutely a sport, and therefore, I do find Joey Chestnut to be an athlete. Now, we think yes, of sir. athletes. Yes, sir. <laughs> we think of athletes that have to be these incredibly healthy, you know, human beings. That it's got to be like you know, you have to be toned. You have to be able to run really fast and be really strong. But in in fact, there are a lot of sports out there that you don't have to have that type of physique you know whether it's competitive eating whether it's arm wrestling whether it's uh sumo wrestling for god's sakes i mean they're correct nice call nice call yeah it's it's okay you don't have to have a six-pack to be an athlete and and i would even go further by saying that a lot of what joey chestnut can do I don't think there are, you know, baseball players, football players, basketball players that are these finely tuned, healthy, you know, athletic bodies that could ever do what Joey Chestnut does without, you know, killing themselves. So um, he is absolutely an athlete. He's one of the rarest athletes on the planet. Um, Yeah. I mean, he deserves he deserves the belt. So there you go. <laughs> I love it. That is, you, you read my mind. I had nothing else to say. That is great. But you know what? That was such a great point because could Joey Chestnut um, play a game of one-on-one basketball? Pro- maybe. maybe. You know what I mean? Could he swing a bat? Maybe. Could a baseball player even attempt to eat as many hot dogs without dying? Probably not. Probably not. Because <laughs> right. their bodies so aren't that trained is... that way. Their bodies aren't ready for that. And um, That's right. That's right. That's why mucho respect to uh, Joey Chestnut there. Mucho Joey Chestnut. And you know, and I don't know if I've ever mentioned him on the pod, but uh, Deco loves uh, Matt Stoney on Ooh, YouTube, okay. who has a fantastic YouTube page. And it's just him doing these eating challenges. Um, so before we go on the eve of going YouTubing, just look up Joey Chestnut and Matt Stoney. They just have great YouTube pages. But anyway, Chris, what is your number five to cap us off on this epic week? Number five. Actually, I swear to God, dude, this is I wrote this down. I wrote this list of things a couple hours ago. What is it going to talk about? And you literally have done a perfect segue into my fifth topic, which is all about food, my friend. Um, <laughs> That's amazing. I won't lie. I, I was having lunch today with a bunch of my work colleagues. And for lunch, I got a hot dog and pink lemonade. And I looked down as I'm eating this and I refer I just looked at my 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 buddy sitting next to me and I say, you know what's weird is I only eat this stuff in July. Like oh. in January, I'm not gonna sit down with a pink lemonade and a hot dog. I don't know why that is. And then and it got me thinking about food that I only really eat in the summer or for the matter, any season of the year. Um and it got me thinking about that. Like, oh yeah, you know what? I don't eat a lot of Italian food in the summer. I'd usually do that a lot in the winter time or the fall or, right. um, you know, uh, seafood in general, summer months, usually always. Um, so Ben, I wanted to ask you when it comes to, first of all, what is your favorite summer food? Number one, but also can you think of any other food that you really kind of reserve for a certain time of the year? 
Okay. Well, you know what? I, I could. I'm. I'm very simple. I'm extremely simple. I'm gonna say grilling out. You know, just hitting the grill in the summer and having seafood. Boom. Just period. Point blank. And I'm. I'm not picky. I. I will eat any kind of seafood. You know what I mean? I like shellfish and regular fish. That's awesome. But when football comes around, I like to think of myself as a connoisseur of the slow cooker. Ooh. I am a slow cooker master. Nice. Come Sunday, whether it be over here or my buddy John's or something, I have a giant slow cooker meal just ready to rock. And I am good with – there's one slow cooker recipe, and it's uh, honey garlic um, chicken thighs in the slow cooker and soy sauce and honey. It's one of the best recipes you do that over some rice, dude, you're eating good. Um, I do double cheesy meatballs with buffalo sauce on them. Those are so good. And then I did a uh, shrimp um, corn chowder in the in the slow cooker, which was so freaking good. So slow cooking. When football season rolls up, maybe, maybe on the pod, I'll break out my slow cooker recipes because those are my favorite, dude. Nice. Nice. Good stuff, man. So there you go. Like folks, I, you know, I love it. Like, and also, I mean, this is a time of sharing. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're either following us on Facebook or, or whatever social media, you know, please throw up some good recipes, throw up some good pictures of what you like to eat during the summer months. Cause you got plenty, oh, nice. plenty of time in the summer to be sharing some, some good food. So there you go, my friend. All right. So let's do it, my buddy. Let's go YouTube, yeah. my friend. It's about that time. Yeah, baby. You want me to go first? You want to go first? Blah, blah, blah. You know what? You go first because I got I got a good one, but you know you go first because I know you got some good stuff to to kick off. All right, so uh, I want to talk about um, YouTube. Is this crazy thing? I don't even know how to d- describe what it is <laughs> entity, um, because yeah. yeah, this entity that's out there because you have some stuff that's legit and you got some bootleg stuff. All right. And uh, there are full movies on YouTube that probably shouldn't be there, but I'm going to talk about them until they get taken down. Um, And so since Tarantino came out with a movie, I'm going to talk about two movies that are on YouTube right now for free that are great inspirations for film noir and um, his kind of style. And there are two movies. The first one called uh, Kiss Me Deadly, 1955. It's a great film noir, like one of the has all of the film noir noir tropes in it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, Mystery right off the bat and actually has some great cast. I think it's, uh, is it Robert Meeker? I think that's the name of the guy. And uh, it says introducing Cloris Leachman. So if you know any Mel Brooks movie, you know, Cloris Leachman. And um, also the movie uh, 1945's detour. Um, I think gun crazy was on YouTube, but they took it down. So detour and kiss me deadly. The full movies are up there. Detour is a great hour and seven minute movie. It's a tight script. It's a great little thing. And you know how Chris, we were talking about uh, old time radio on here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely an old time radio. And I think they actually did detour as an old time radio script. I think you can actually listen to it as opposed to, uh, watch it but it's a great little flick so great old-timey movies and i think detour is in public domain so that one's up there forever so there's great public domain movies that are out there if you are a screenwriter or a writer um it's something that i show my people when i'm teaching creative writing at work are these old-timey movies because they have great scripts because in the in this era of like studio movies where they would sell their b pictures to the 
theaters like we'll give you five b pictures if you show our a picture detour was you know one of those movies so your script had to be tight because you know you didn't have uh you didn't have money for you know color film mm-hmm. <laughs> or anything you had to light it like really you know just dramatic and suspenseful so definitely check those out so it's kiss me deadly and detour what you got for us chris love it um you know it's funny it, 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 i just discovered this uh on youtube it's not really a youtube um you know uh, series that's based on you but it's like i it's snippets from a show that's on another network but i found it on youtube if that makes sense um it's a show called bar rescue have you ever heard of the show Oh yeah, buddy. So I I just discovered this. It was formerly on no the, way, right. no way. I love that show so, so much. So uh, formerly on what was known as the Spike Network, which is now known as the Paramount Network. Um, but it's about a guy named John Taff Taffern Taffy. I think it's Tafford Tafford, yeah. who is is a bar uh, expert. He's he's had several successful bars. Um, so basically, he does a version of Gordon Ramsay's kitchen nightmares or, you know, his, his, you know, improvement shows where he basically goes in and tries to rescue a struggling uh, bar. And in typical, like these types of show fashions, he is a brash, uh, loud personality. And he, I, I think he actually makes Gordon Ramsay look, you know, tame <laughs> in a way with the way that he gets in the <laughs> faces of some of these people. Cause let's be honest. Some people that run bars are, you know, just pure scumbags, and you definitely see that uh, on this show. But I gotta tell you, I saw some of these snippets on YouTube. It got me hooked right away. That's again one of the, you know, billion reasons why I love YouTube is it allows me to discover TV shows that I've never seen before that now I'm like I can't get enough of. So um, that's that's been an awesome thing this week to see. Oh my god, dude! So you've never did you watch a couple of full episodes? Oh yeah, not I really got okay. into it. Yeah, so um, <laughs> is that why you didn't go to the movies? This week? I mean, I was watching. I was just watching Bar Rescue, watching him just scream. All right, I can forgive you. I'll forgive you a little on that one <laughs> because I think I've seen every single episode. Oh, there's something it. so fascinating. There's there's a couple of great ones, and actually, I have a buddy that uh, went down south and visited a couple post Bar Rescue bars. Oh, okay. And actually saw if they went back to their old ways. Nice. It was pretty awesome. Yeah. Very cool, man. Very cool. All right, folks. Well, this was a good one, man. This was a great podcast this week. Short. Dude, we've been been cramming them tight. We've been cramming them full full of entertainment, dude. I mean, hot takes left and right. I mean, this was was a good one. Ben, really quick before we go, anything coming up that you want to promote? Any news? Any announcements? The floor is yours. Uh, well, actually, you know, I'll talk about it. Uh, I'm getting, I'm hooking up with an old director, um, who does these kind of short ultra, ultra, ultra low budget movies. And he's producing a star Wars flick. And I'm not sure if it's a short film or, uh, a long version film. And, um, I might be a Sith Lord in it. So I'm getting my Cape off of Amazon soon. And uh, that's a big thing. But also I just want to promote the pod. Uh, We've been getting lots of hits, lots of great feedback. And if anyone really wants to hear anything on the pod, feel free to hook, hit us up on the Facebook. Just hit, hit me up with a personal message. Me and Chris uh, monitor the uh, Facebook page or just put it right out there. You know what I mean? And if you have a great question and you want people to feedback on it, just put it up there. I would love to see some great discussions on there. And this week we had some hot takes. So I'd like to hear that we're wrong or right. And I heard some hot takes on once upon a time in Hollywood. And Chris, I didn't tell you, 
we might have a guest star next week. So what? just putting that out there. Yeah. Can, and can, someone with a different take of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I mean, do we want to spoil who it is now or do you want to just leave it as a mystery? Well, wait. Well, uh, mystery, right. mystery time. I'm down. Yeah. I'm down for it. And I, I will. I promise you I will watch this movie before, <laughs> before the next podcast because, uh, yeah, I, I just uh, shame. Ring the bell. Shame. 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 Uh, actually, I have a bell in the other room. Dude. Damn it. If you told me that, I would have grabbed it. It's like right there. It's right on my reach. <laughs> we'll, we'll save it for next week. Exactly. All um, right. Folks, yeah, like keep cheek checking the blog. I mean, like I said, we got new content every single day up on Onstage Blog and OnStageBlog.com. We're putting up new podcasts left and right. Um, I am looking for new podcasts, like actual new podcasts to come to the Onstage Blog Network because we could always use more entertainment. Uh, the demand is out there for content. So if you are either currently hosting a podcast or you're in, really interested in doing one uh, and feel that you could do one at least once a month, um, let me know. Please email us, onstageblog at, onstage, excuse me, onstageblog at gmail.com. Um, and let's start a dialogue about bringing your podcast to the Onstage Blog Network because um, it's a good time. I won't lie. So Yeah, dude. Yeah. Chris, good stuff. And oh, also, you know what, Chris? And you know what's one other thing? Um, so I've I've told you I use TuneIn. Um, I actually started using another app called uh, Podcast Addict. Okay. I think it's a PA. It's like a little orange symbol. And when I searched "desperately seeking entertainment," that came up on that too. And that's a great sorter. If you do onstage Whoa. blog, they all come up separately so it must have caught your rss feed it off must of have because so. i definitely did not set up anything on podcast addict so um, yeah so that's a great little um nice. that thing keeps track of uh which ones you subscribe to but more importantly you can hit play on the latest episode and it'll play through the older episodes so if Ooh. you fall asleep to podcasts it'll just keep playing through the night so rock wow. and roll you could you could you could have us you know lullaby you to sleep that's awesome that's right, my voice through your head as you're sleeping. <laughs> Love it, man. Well, Ben, good stuff this week, man. I can't wait till next week. Yeah, bro, good stuff. All right, folks, we'll see you right here next week on Desperately Seeking Entertainment.